Welcome to the Cartoonist Kayfabe Courtroom. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm the Honorable Jim Rugg. We're going to be continuing our Jim Shooter deposition against uh, Fantagraphics, Gary Groth, Kim Thompson, by way of the Comics Journal, uh, court case filed by Michael Fleischer. The transcription of this deposition comes from Comics Journal 115, April 1987. Uh, in the comments last week, the great Jeet here uh, popped up and mentioned to us that... Uh, you know, Jeet here, comics scholar, comics historian, uh, chimed in and said that um, this same month that this issue came out, Jim Shooter is no longer uh, an employee of Marvel. He's he's fired from Marvel Comics. Uh, so it's very, it's it's interesting to keep that in the back of your mind as uh, Shooter lays it on thick about all the virtues of Marvel and uh, how the company's standing as being honorable and the you know the upstanding company that he's the spearhead of and what and, and he's in charge of everything <laughs> that's uh, right <laughs> we we don't know what a booby hatch is yet jimmy you know uh in the description below this video you can listen to part one and here are preambles about the michael fleischer case against comics journal essentially boils down to there's an interview with harlan ellison with gary groth uh Harlan Ellison is just speaking off the cuff and keeps calling Michael Fleischer battier than a Belfry or like crazy guy, right. blah, blah, blah. Uh, when he's saying it, he's saying it in relation to guys like Robert E. Howard and, and H.P. Lovecraft, the great pulp writers uh, of, of the olden days. But Fleischer just heard that crazy part one too many times and tried to get uh, a retraction, tried to get apology letters. Um into the journal gary and kim weren't having it so now this is a deposition in front of a jury of our peers so jim shooter is this is it's in court that's not like the neil gaiman thing right. where there's a vhs camcorder trained on you and you're just in a room with a couple of people we are in court in front of a jury and where we left off uh cross-examination yeah, I'm excited for this. We haven't seen this yet. Uh, you know, it didn't really come up in the deposition for Neil Gaiman. So this is like your courtroom drama. Yes. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's time to grill Jim Shooter in this piece now. Yeah, I think, I think we're going uh, to be getting spicy. Jimmy is playing the role of all the legal experts, the, uh, the lawyers and such. And there will be some back and forth that Jim will keep you appraised on, like who's talking what, and all that stuff. I'm playing the role of Jim Shooter. Uh, I do think about uh, Tom Scioli's impersonation of Jim Shooter in our one uh, adaptation of the, a comic that was drawn by the King Papers. Right. <laughs> it, it might be like video five. You got to go back pretty far. Wow, I I'll, forgot about it. I'll put it on the Instas. But he uses a, he uses a really good like deep bassy voice that I'm just not going to do. We're going to play it. We're going to play it straight so that we don't get more grating than our typical voices already are. And. Uh, if that's enough preamble, if we laid out enough things, we could we could just jump right into stuff, Jimmy. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a... I don't have anything to add. Cross-examination by Mr. Norwick, I guess, uh, in favor of uh, the Fantagraphics guys. All right. So this is Norwick. Mr. Shooter, did you give a deposition in this case a couple of years ago? Yes, I did. Did you do it voluntarily or were you subpoenaed to do so? I was asked to do that. Who asked you to do that? Mr. Marshall, Fleischer's attorney. Can you recall when he asked and what he asked? I think he called 
me at my office and asked if he could come in and talk to me. He came in and talked to me and told me that he would like me to be an expert witness, and I agreed. How many hours did you spend with Mr. Marshall before you appeared for your deposition? Only a few. I'd say three or four. Three or four hours with Mr. Marshall. What was discussed during those three or four hours? Well, he, he asked me what I knew about this, and I told him. He found out the extent of my job and what areas I had influence over and knowledge about, and I told him. He told me what sort of question I'd, I'd be asked. Did he ask you to be an expert witness before you answered his questions or after you answered his questions? He came to me, I believe, with the intent that I would. I think that's where it started. He was looking for an expert witness. To say what? To explain how the comic book industry works and what how sales work and what effect on sales a person's name and reputation might have. Didn't he want you to testify as to the impact of the Ellison interview and other materials on Michael Fleischer? Wasn't that clear to you? Well, I think he wanted to know uh, from me whether or not the Comics Journal was widely read and whether it had influence and what its place was in the industry. Did he talk about the Ellison interview during these three or four hours, Mr. Shooter? Certainly. What did he say? I, I can't quote to you what he said. In substance? He said I would testify, uh, he said, would I testify to the fact that this would have had some influence? That's what he said to you. Thank you. What else did he say to you about the Ellison interview and about subsequent materials relating to Fleischer? He showed me some of the things which I had already seen, so I didn't bother to reread them. I don't know. I don't understand what you want. I want to understand what else was said in those three or four hours about the references to Michael Fleischer that you've testified to on direct. Marshall. Objection to form. The court overruled. As I say, he told me the kind of questions I'd be asked. He found out what my position was and... and what I have authority over. He showed me various things which I'd already seen and we really didn't have much to, to time to talk. I'm a pretty busy guy. But you had three or four hours to discuss your expert testimony in this case with Mr. Marshall before you had your deposition taken. Is that correct? Objection, asked and answered. The court overruled. Yes. Back to Norwick. Did Mr. Marshall offer you any payment in connection with your testimony as an expert witness? No. Are you receiving any payment in connection with your testimony as an expert witness? I didn't know that I could. But you are not? No. You are volunteering all of your time in connection with this case. Is that right? Well, I suppose so. How long was your deposition? Several hours. How much in total preparation time did you put in before your deposition? That's all. Just the three or four hours. Have you put in any time in preparing for your testimony in this trial? We met, Mr. Marshall and I met several times, again, spent three or four hours, and I also had to come down here and wait several times and did not appear, so I wasted some time sitting in the hallway. Could you estimate how many total hours you're donating to Michael Fleischer's case in connection with your testimony here? I don't look at it as a donation. What do you look at it as? I assume this is my civic duty. What do you mean by that? I was asked to come here and testify in a legal proceeding, isn't that what you're supposed to do? I did it. Therefore, anyone who asks you to testify, you will drop everything you are doing and come here and testify? I would rather not be here. Are you under any compulsion? My own feeling that I have an obligation as any person would as a citizen. And you would have that duty to anyone who asks you to come testify. Isn't that right? I would have a duty to anyone, I think, uh, where I had something of substance to offer. Do you care who wins this case, Mr. Shooter? No. 
Did you not participate in a fundraising effort to help Mr. Fleischer win this case, Mr. Shooter? As I said before, the circumstances were that I was at. I didn't say this part before. I have to qualify participation. First of all, it was a fundraising effort by artists who were selling sketches. I'm in no way an artist. I got involved in it when Phil Suling, who was holding a convention, objected to it, and the artists came to me as a person that they thought had some clout to talk to Phil. And yes, I was in the room, and yes, I was with those people, and there was a large group of them. You interceded on behalf of those people who were trying to raise money for Michael Fleischer. Isn't that right? I interceded on behalf of the artists who asked me to intercede. Who were trying to raise money for Michael Fleischer. And you knew that, didn't you? Of course I did. You would have done the same for the Comics Journal, wouldn't you? The Comics Journal would have done... Would you have done the same thing for the Comics Journal? Would you have interceded with Mr. Suling if Gary Groth came to you and said, Jim, we are having some trouble with Phil Suling at the convention. Will you help us out? Would you intercede on our behalf? Would you do that for Gary? First of all, that is extremely unlikely. Second of all, I have no professional connection with Gary. He doesn't work for me. He's not a person to look to me as an authority. It's just in inconceivable. How many total hours have you put in in connection with this litigation to date? I'd say between 8 and 10 hours. How busy are you? I'm an extremely busy person. Are you being paid your normal salary today? Actually, yes, but that's really academic. Were you paid your Marvel salary on the other 8 or 10 hours you've put in on this case? Marshall, objection. The court overruled. I'm in an interesting situation at Marvel. I basically have so much accumulated vacation time that I can be paid for. I never take my vacation time, so I have pretty much unlimited ability to do so, to take any time off that I want. Uh, I am also an officer of the company. I come and go as I choose. I also work evenings and weekends. As an officer of the company, is it in your view permissible to have your employees use company time to testify as a volunteer in a litigation? As a person in a responsible position as a person whose responsibilities do not end at five o'clock as a person who works weekends and nights i don't feel at all that i'm taking time away from marvel comics by spending a few hours here what would you be doing this morning if you weren't here mr shooter i'd be a lot more comfortable where would you be in my office doing what company business absolutely apart from the convention that was run by mr Suling in which you interceded did you not also participate with a group the following Easter in an attempt to raise money for Michael Fleischer? The following Easter. Or the following April, the following spring, the spring of 81. I don't know what you're talking about. You have no recollection of that? Maybe if you give me a better hint. I am asking for your recollection. Did you make any other efforts to support Michael Fleischer other than interceding at that convention? I don't recall any. In connection with preparing for your testimony at the trial, when did you meet with Mr. Marshall? Let's see. I met with him yesterday for an hour or so, and I met with him once or twice in the evening after the, the work week before Thanksgiving. What did you talk about? The sort of questions I might be asked, and I was shown some of these things again, which I'd already read, so I didn't bother to read. Did you give him answers to questions? Oh, sure, in the course of discussing things. Did he respond to those answers? Sometimes. What did he say? To what? To questions that he asked you that you answered. Give me some typical responses of what he would say when he asked you a question and you answered it. I really, I don't know what you want. I don't understand. Did he indicate to you that your answer wasn't sharp enough or wasn't helpful enough? He had nothing but praise for my answers. He said, that's fine. Not once did he express any qualifications with any answer that you gave. Well, I think that since it's uh, 
I've never done this before. He told me the sorts of things uh, you could say and the sorts of things you can't. He told you what he wanted you to say? No. How would you describe your personal relationship with the Comics Journal, Mr. Shooter? I don't really have one. I mean, do you hate the Comics Journal? Nope. Have you said publicly that they lie all the time? I said that they sensationalize. I said that they print misinformation. I've said that they uh, ask you for information that they print. Have you said, I don't think that there has been a word printed in the Comics Journal that is true? That is a partial quote. Did you say that sentence? That is a partial sentence, and I remember the sentence, and I remember the rest of it, if you would like to hear it. The first question is, did you utter that sentence with a capital letter at the beginning and a period at the end? That's not a complete sentence, so the answer is no. Where did you make that partial statement? Marshall. Objection, unless the whole statement comes in. The court overruled. I probably made it several times in several different places. But never as a complete sentence? That's... You took several words out of context. Uh, that's not even the whole sentence, much less the whole paragraph, so I can't answer that. What was your impression of how the Comics Journal views Marvel Comics? Well, I think they take stands which are designed to sell magazines. Are they critical of Marvel Comics, Mr. Shooter? They are critical of just about everything. <laughs> are they especially critical of Marvel Comics? Well, I think that Marvel, as the leader in the field, far and away the largest company, makes the best copy. So yes, uh, I think they are very critical of Marvel. How do you respond to that criticism? I don't. You don't? Nope. Do you like it? It doesn't bother me. You read the Comics Journal regular, regularly, isn't that correct? Yes, uh, when it comes in. I usually flip through the pages, and if something catches my eye, I'll read it. Sometimes, uh, then, an issue, as issues are spread around the office, various things will be discussed, and it will come to my attention. Sometimes people will bring me a copy and say, Did you see this? Uh, one way or another, I'm fairly familiar with everything that's in there. Do you read the interviews? Sometimes. What determines whether or not you are going to read an interview? I read it if someone I know or someone influential or if it has uh, some reason to interest me. But you didn't read the Michael Fleischer interview, did you? No, I didn't. Michael Fleischer wrote for you at the time, didn't he? Yes, he did. You hired him, didn't you? Yes, I did. And that appeared about three months after the Ellison interview? Yes, it did. And you didn't read it. Why didn't you read it? I was probably busy. I just didn't get around to it. Do you have any idea what is in the Michael Fleischer interview? I'd, I heard references to it, but I haven't read it. What have you heard? I've heard that, gee, I really don't know. I can't remember anything specific. I just know the kinds of things he was likely to discuss. I don't remember any... I know it's been referred to. Let me call your attention to the Michael Fleischer interview, which appears on page 42. Prior to February 1980, what was your understanding of Michael Fleischer's reputation in the comic book field? He was not a person who was discussed a lot. He had no notoriety. Did he have a reputation for having a violent imagination? Not that I know of. Did he have a reputation for having an intensively gruesome streak? Again, not in particular that I knew of. When did you become editor-in-chief of Marvel? 1978. And you had read The Spectre before that, is that right? Yes. What did you remember about the Spectre? I remember that the stories were w well written. Uh, they always had a kind of O. Henry type twist at the end. They were typical Spectre stories. Do you remember any violence in the Spectre? Those were all code approved comics. The violence was minimal. Minimal. Objection. This is Marshall. Objection to the comment, Your Honor, the court. The comment will be stricken. Back to Norwick. Do you remember any of the devices that Mr. Fleischer used in the Spectre series to accomplish the death of various subjects in those stories? Sure, I remember one or two. What do you remember? I think that there was a story where the evil do doer, the murderer, whoever, was turned into a wooden statue and then sawed up <laughs> as a piece of wood. In a buzzsaw? Yes. 
Any other examples you can remember? Not off the top of my head. Do you remember turning someone into a candle and melting him down? Do you remember that? Yes, kayfabe conjecture. I want to read these comics. <laughs> I really want to read them now. Continue. Back to Norwick. How about turning someone into a plate of glass and shattering him? Do you remember that? No. Conjecture? These comics could go on all day. I could think of a million <laughs> of these kind of things. I mean, turn a guy into a Rubik's Cube? <laughs> Real quick, before we continue, Ed and I are both working cartoonists, so I want to bring up our latest projects. Ed Piscor's Red Room, the Antisocial Network. The collection of the first four issues of Red Room is now available wherever you buy books, comic book stores, bookstores online. And uh, in addition to the four issues being reprinted in this collection, there's also 80 pages of bonus material in the back. 70, 80, something 70, like that. 80 pages, all kinds of really cool stuff, like the uh, first draft of Red Room. I love this stuff. This is what I used to uh, double dip when I would buy comics and then buy like the Hellboy collections for the extra material in the back. So a really nice collection. Great job by Fanographics in terms of production. Uh, notes almost like a director's cut back there. Following... Uh, Red Room Antisocial Network will be trigger warnings coming out in February 2022. Um, starting then is a monthly series, standalone issues. So any of these that you see, you can pick up. It's a great place to start, self-contained short stories. And uh, this is your main cover. These are the variants to look for in your local comic shop. And be sure to tell your comic shop to add these to your pool list or your subscription box. And uh, look, even a variant cover by yours truly here, uh, paying homage to the famous Robert Crumb Zap cover so if you're looking for a little more graphic violence in your life add red room to your collection jimmy what are you not working on <laughs> sadly uh still working on ed but uh hulk grand design coming in march 2022 and april 2022 this will be two issues uh both self-contained standalone first one is monster uh, telling the story of the Hulk, the first 40 years of the Hulk, condensing about 10,000 pages into 80 pages total. Uh, there will be some cool variants. We just announced the first round of variants for the monster issue. This is the March 2022 title, which you can order right now from your local comic shop. And those variants include one by Ed Piscor, a really nice homage to uh, Incredible Hulk 181, that I, or rather Hulk 240, that iconic cover kind of a mashup because we're seeing the retro original wolverine costume from 181 Genius. yeah very nice also by the way green background but gray hulk on the claws it was all considered very smart uh peach momoko is doing a cover for monster and uh marcos martin doing a variant cover that's pretty amazing the transformation of banner into the hulk looks good on a cover so uh pick those up tell your comic shop to order one of those for you right now and uh back to our regular scheduled programming Back to Norwick. You say the evildoer got done in. Any innocent people got done in in the Spectre stories? I mean, the evildoer had a victim. Or more than one victim? Yes. Many victims. Possibly. And in your view, that is minimal violence. In my view, these are comics which are published under the Comics Code Authority, have been approved by our industry regulating body as perfectly acceptable. I think that the word violence is a very subjective word. I don't think that essentially a wooden statue being sawed up is particularly violent. Compared to what? That's just it. Compared to what? What's your frame of reference? I asked you first. <laughs> Marshall. Objection. The court. Next question, please. Back to Norwick. Do you consider someone who invents turning someone into a block of wood and running him through a buzzsaw 
turning someone into a candle and melting him down, turning someone into a sheet of glass and then shattering the sheet of glass demonstrates an intensively gruesome streak. It seems to me that Michael was assigned by DC Comics to write Spectre stories. That's what Spectre stories are like. He must have been uh, deli delivering exactly what they asked him to do. They never would have published it. I, I don't know how much of that stuff was invented by Michael and how much was invented by Joe Orlando or by the assistant editor. I don't know how much of that plot was fed to Michael by the editorial staff. I don't know how much he was required to write. I don't know. I can't make a conclusion because I don't uh, know how the business worked. You associated Michael Fleischer with the Spectre, did you not, Mr. Shooter? I read the Spectre stories and I found them to be well written and that's why. And you knew he wrote them? Marshall, objection to the interruption. Of course I knew he wrote them. And it was on the basis of the Spectre story that you hired him for Marvel? No, I had read a lot of his stuff. When did you hire Michael Fleischer for Marvel? I don't remember the exact year. Approximately? In my first couple of years as editor-in-chief, so I would guess maybe 1979. What had you read of Michael Fleischer's before that? Well, I'd read, I think, Jonah Hex stories. Uh, seems to me I read one of his encyclopedias on comics. I read the Spectre stories. I read probably some of the mystery stories. I read an awful lot of comics. In terms of Michael Fleischer's comic books, you've read The Spectre. What else did you read? Marshall, objection, asked and answered. Norwick, he said probably. The court overruled Norwick. You are very clear that you read Michael Fleischer's Spectre stories. Is that right? Yes, sure. How many were there? I don't know. What else of Fleischer's work had you read in the comic book field prior to you hiring him to come work for you at Marvel? I read some mystery stories and I'd read Jonah Hex. Can you identify the mystery stories? No. What is your understanding of why the Spectre was terminated as a series? Well, with very rare exceptions, the only reason a series is ever terminated is economic reasons. How often does it occur that a series will create a furor? Well, I think that these, these days that is more likely and that time at that time it was very unlikely would it be very rare for a series to create a furor in the comic book world not today no but in the mid 70s i would say it would be difficult yes unlikely and rare right yes and it would be unlikely and rare for fans to run around saying that michael fleischer was single-handedly destroying the comic book business marshall objection court overruled a fan might say that a professional would know better many fans might say that Marshall objection court overruled that just seems highly improbable to me uh, how can you say that at all kind of exaggerated and hyperbolic right I think that the specter appeared in adventure comics I think it probably had as most comics do a lot of readers who liked it and some who didn't that is all speculation on your part is that right Marshall objection court overruled didn't you just ask me to speculate I've asked you for your knowledge and understanding about why the Spectre was terminated as a series, not for speculation. My knowledge is that uh, this would only happen if there was an economic reason. So if you were told that Michael Fleischer in his own interview, which you never read, stated that it created a furor and that fans ran around saying that Michael Fleischer was single-handedly going to destroy the comic book business and that Michael Fleischer himself said that all fans hated it and I loved it and things like that, would that influence your opinion as to what happened to the Spectre? Marshall, objection to the mischaracterization, court, objection sustained, Norwick. What is your understanding as to the extent to which Michael Fleischer's writing expresses his own personality? I think that 
that every writer, every writer's work is influenced by his background, his personality. I don't know how you could avoid that. Does every writer's personality show itself in that writer's work? I would say that to some extent it might. With specific reference to Michael Fleischer, is it your understanding that his work reflects and illustrates his own personality? I think that the way I'd answer that is that I probably agree with it, but I mean some, something different than you do. Mr. Shooter, you, you were aware at the time, were you not, that Michael Fleischer was the subject of a major interview in the Comics Journal? I was aware. And you saw the issue when it came out? Certainly. Can you remember when it came out? Not exactly. Did it come out before this com convention in July of 1980? I don't know, I think. Would you agree that the contents of Michael Fleischer's own interview in the Comics Journal would have an impact on his reputation? It's hard for me to judge how much impact. I think that it would have uh, some impact. I don't think it is all comparable to the other uh, interview. First of all, what does your answer depend on? What's in the interview? I think that a Harlan Ellison interview is a lot more likely to be read and believed than a Michael Fleischer interview. You think a Harlan Ellison interview is more likely to be believed than a Michael Fleischer interview. What is your basis for that statement? Well, Michael at the time was a writer of no great reputation. I mean, until the Harlan Ellison interview came out, he was not someone who would uh, be discussed much. He's not someone that you eagerly await the interview of. But Harlan is very well known and not very highly respected. Very well. Uh, it would be very much anticipated if Harlan Ellison were going to do an interview. I think that not as many people would take note of Michael's interview. Why wouldn't he be believed, Mr. Shooter? I don't think that it would be read by, use the word fan sometimes, and you've referred to Michael using the word fan, and the word fan is deceiving. Because when you say fan, some people think of it like baseball fans. Somebody watches a baseball game, just anybody. But fan to people in comics profession can refer to this very, very small vocal group of people who write fan magazines and are called letter hacks that write letters every month to every publication so sometimes when you say the word fan yeah uh, you could be talking about those few people and yeah they would probably read anything but I think that the fans in this broader sense the people who are readers of comics and the collectors and so forth probably would be more likely to read a Harlan Ellison interview you testified that the readers of the comics journal would more likely would be more likely to believe a Harlan Ellison interview than a Michael Fleischer interview. My question is, what is the basis for that statement? Common sense. Uh, the same reason that they get celebrities to advertise products. People who you've heard of and have good reputations and are well known to the public, their word presumably means something, and that's why advertisers use them to advertise products. Same logic. And Michael Fleischer is not to be believed. He's not as well known, uh, or he wasn't as well known. I'm talking about his credibility. Is he to be believed or not to be believed? I believe him, but as I said, I don't think uh, many people would read that. If they did read it, you don't think that they would believe what Michael Fleischer said about himself? Is that right? They may believe it. Marshall. Objection. Court overruled. I think uh, that also you'd have to interpret what he was saying. Uh, you have to understand that someplace, if he refers to a fan, he may mean a few guys who publish a fan magazine someplace as opposed to a body of readership. In other words, you have to read what someone says in context. Is that right? I certainly think so. Do you assume that most readers of the Comics Journal read what they read in the Comics Journal in context? I don't know that I can say that. I hope so. Do you have any way of knowing what percentage of the Comics Journal readership read the Michael Fleischer interview? I have no way of knowing percentage. 
For all you know, the same number that read the Harlan Ellison interview? I wouldn't believe that. That doesn't seem likely. Any basis whatever for that opinion? The basis is that I can tell from around the office of Marvel Comics where the comics journals are handed out. Uh, the early interview was eagerly read. It was discussed. It was a subject of much talk for literally years. I didn't hear much comment at all about Fleischer's interview. I think I heard uh, that there was one. That was about it. If Michael Fleischer had said in that interview that if people want to think I'm a sadist because I like to kill people in my stories, they are welcome to think that, would you, in your opinion, think that that would have any impact on his reputation? As I said, I think that the interview in general would have some impact on his reputation. I don't think much, however. If he said that he had trouble dealing with women or words to that effect, and that reflected itself in his stories, would that have an impact on his reputation? Marshall, objection to the gross mischaracterization, Norwick. I'll read verbatim. Marshall, page reference, please. Norwick, Mr. Shooter, turn please to page 64 of the Fleischer interview, right-hand column, I'll read you the following sentences. There's a lot of antagonism between the sexes. There's a lot of antagonism between the races. I am not free of those feelings. I try in my life to behave as well as I can. In my stories, I give free expression to my feelings. With respect to the sentences I read to you, would those sentences appear in the Fleischer interview, in your opinion, have any impact on Michael Fleischer's reputation? As I said, anything in the in interview might have some impact. I don't think it would uh, have very much impact at all. I also think that you have to understand the context. Michael Fleischer is not only a writer for hire in the comic book business, he is also the author of a novel. He could be referring to his novel here. It, cer it certainly would. Anyone who knows the comic book business would know that he is not talking about comic book work. What do you know about that novel? Marshall, objection, court, overruled. That it was published, not much else. That's all you know about it? Well, I know what I've heard. I know what Harlan Ellison said about it in his interview. What did you hear about that about the novel other than what Harlan Ellison said about it? I heard from Michael that it sold fairly well as a first novel. He told me that at a volleyball game. What is your understanding of Mike, Michael Fleischer's ability to separate the truth from falsehood? I think Michael is able to separate the truth from falsehood as well as anyone. Would it surprise you that the novel sold dismally and that he lied to you when he told you that it sold well? Did that surprise you? Marshall, objection, court overruled. Kayfabe conjecture, I feel like Peppy White or some staffer is, is dressed up as a lawyer for Fantagraphics here. <laughs> yeah, this, this <laughs> Eric Reynolds, how old were you when this shit was going down, man? <laughs> it's a ridiculous line of questions that we've just gone through, it feels like. It feels like fanboy shit. It really does. This is how Eric Reynolds earned his stripes, man. He could put on a three-piece suit. He's probably, like, the dude that could clean up the best out of, like, all the Fantagraphics people. Even though he's, like, probably 17 here or something. Uh, back to the back to the gimmick. Uh, uh, the only thing that would surprise me about it is that the time Michael told me that he was telling me, he was quoting his editor at the publishing house who told him that. Wow. What a sentence, Jimmy. Yeah. The only thing that surprises me is that the editor might have misled him. He told you that his editor told him that the book sold very well. This was very shortly after it came out, yes. What is your understanding of Michael Fleischer's educational background? I have no idea. Do you understand that he has a PhD degree? I didn't know that. Have you heard that? Probably. Excuse me? Probably. Would it surprise you if I told you that Michael Fleischer has lied about having a PhD degree and lied about it publicly? Would that surprise you? Marshall, objection. 
Something which I haven't heard, you are. Court. When there is an objection, would you mind waiting until I have ruled on it? I'm sorry. Court. Overruled. What you are asking me is a hypothetical situation that would uh, surprise me. Okay. I suppose in that hypothetical situation, I'd be surprised. Would you be surprised if he called himself a partner in an insurance firm when he wasn't a partner? Marshall. Objection. Court. Sustained. Norwick. What is your familiarity with the people who the Comics Journal chooses to be their interview subjects? Do you know who they are? They tend to be people in the comic book industry who have some reason to be interviewed. Prominent people. Not always. Mostly? Often. People who the readership would be interested in, at least in your opinion, in the judgment of the editors of the Comics Journal, they select people who the readership would like to read about. Marshall. Objection to form. Court overruled. I believe that being good publishers and marketers, uh, they would get the best person they could get for the best interview they could get the best person. Yet in the fall of 1979, Mr. Fleischer had no reputation that you were aware of. Is that correct? You have to place that in time for me compared to the Ellison interview. Three or four months before the Ellison interview was published, what was Mr. Fleischer's reputation? He didn't have much of a reputation. He was not a conspicuous figure. Would it surprise you then to learn that the Comics Journal asked him for an interview at precisely that time? It wouldn't surprise me because I said that I assume they get the best person or the most noteworthy person they can. There are some people who refuse to interview for the journal. Maybe he was the best they could do. So they settle for nobodies if they can't get people who are prominent. I didn't say he was a nobody. He's a professional comic book writer. He would certainly have some stature with fans. How about professionals in the business? Professionals in the business would know of him, at least. Were you surprised to see the Fleischer interview appear? Did you say to yourself, why are they wasting their space on Michael Fleischer? Actually, I wasn't surprised because it followed the Ellison interview, and the Ellison interview was the reason for it. You concluded that the Comics Journal published their Michael Fleischer interview as a response to or as a follow-up to the Ellison interview. I was never told that, but that's an assumption I would make. Did you read the entire Ted White interview? Yes. Did you read the entire Harlan Ellison interview? Yes. Why did you read the entire Ted White interview but not the Michael Fleischer interview? Marshall. Objection asked and answered. The court overruled. Ted White is a very prominent figure. I think he was the editor of Heavy Metal. He was someone that I wanted to hear what he had to say. What was said about Michael Fleischer in the Ted White interview? Can I read it? No, I would like you to do it from memory, Mr. Shooter. Something came up about being sued, the subject of being sued, and Ted White said something to the effect, uh, are we being sued? And Gary Groth, who was the interviewer, said, no, we are, meaning, I guess, Fantagraphics. And I think that White, at that point, guessed that it was the Ellison interview and made some mention of, oh yeah, he called the guy crazy or deranged, then Gary said the actual words certifiable, something, something else. You don't remember any references to praises being uttered at about the same time, Mr. Shooter? I remember Gary added something about that he hoped Michael was as inept in court as he was a writer. <laughs> <laughs> the question was, do you remember any references that Harlan Ellison was praising Michael Fleischer in the Ellison interview? Do you remember any of that in the Ted White interview that you read in its entirety? I don't think Ted White said anything like that. Did anyone say anything like that? I don't know. Did someone say something like that? You are testifying, Mr. Shooter, the court. The counsel's comment will be stricken. Norwick. Those references in the Ted White interview caused Michael Fleischer damage. Is that right? I believe that it probably contributed 
Ted Waite is a guy who people would take note of. Uh, I have to interject here. Some of the court stuff, like um, the comment will be stricken. And then they publish it? Fantagraphics? Right, but also everybody in the jury heard it. You know what I mean? Like, what's what's the actual impact on that? I I mean, we don't know anything about the law. We know nothing about court cases and stuff. It it does make me wonder if uh, there's enough of that. You can use that for, like, mistrials and shit like that if, if like, uh, something doesn't go your way. Because that instruction is basically telling the jury, ignore that. Yeah, yeah. That that shouldn't affect whatever judgment you're going to render. You just get hit with the with the uh, men in black flashlight <laughs> and you don't even remember it was being said. It's, it's really interesting because it feels like you could do some shit. damage, you know, with these comments and then they're stricken, but damage is done. Yeah, I don't get that stuff, man. We have a lot of lawyers who are very interested in this. If they could like put any kind of comment. I'm kind of curious about that one just because it does feel like you've already said it now. And, and can't you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You see it a million times too. And it's like, okay, yeah. So, so we're supposed to forget that part. Maybe that that's how juries get jammed up in the back, man. When they're like, you know, you can't let that influence the, the decision. Right. Okay, you ready? Yes. As a result of that exchange, people thought less of Michael Fleischer. Is that right? I think that continued the characterization of Michael Fleischer. Are you aware that Michael Fleischer has called himself a lunatic? I'm not aware of that. Would it surprise you if I told you he called himself a lunatic? I'd have to know... When and why? Why would you have to know that? Could have been a joker at a party. Or hyperbole or opinion. Yes, sure. I don't know the circumstances. So if Michael Fleischer called himself a lunatic, you would have to know the context. You would have to know the sense in which it appeared before you could make an assessment of how you would interpret it. Is that right? That is correct. What does the word bugfuck mean, Mr. Shooter? (laughs) I think that it's probably a synonym for crazy. In a clinical sense, in a medical sense, is that right, or does it depend on context? I think that, as I said before, I think that you'd have to know the context of almost anything to understand the meaning. Do you have any opinion as to the ability of the readers of the comics journal to read things in context? I think that comics fans in general tend to be verbal and probably above average intelligence. I think they would probably uh, read the context very well. What does the word derangeo mean? I think that it means crazy or deranged. In a clinical sense, or does it depend on its context? I think that it depends on the context, but I think that it's hard to imagine a context uh, where that would be a compliment. How about the word crazy as a compliment? Is that hard to imagine? That's a little easier. That's easier to imagine. In what sense can you conjure up the word crazy being used as a compliment? Marshall, objection, court overruled. In other words, you want me to use the word crazy in a sentence where it is a compliment or a positive reference? If you can. Pause. It's hard to write under these conditions. I think that if you uh, said someone was a crazy guy, just meaning that he, it might mean that he did things which were sort of antic, you know, sort of off bear and not normal. Suppose someone said, I saw Eddie Murphy last night and he was really crazy. Would that be a compliment or an insult? Guess that would depend. On what? The context. All you heard was, I saw Eddie Murphy last night and he was really crazy. It would depend on the inflection, uh, whether the person was smiling, whether it was a person who had, uh, in the past few minutes, been setting up a context where that meant something negative. I am going to hand you Exhibit 53 in this case and call your attention to passages in there. Before I do so, Mr. Shooter, what is your understanding of Harlan Ellison's reputation prior to the publication of the Ellison interview? 
Harlan markets himself as a hellraiser, a fighter, a person who isn't afraid to say anything he wants to, a person who gets in the fights. It's part of his show. Is he known to express his opinion fearlessly? I think that's the image he seeks. He's not afraid of who he may make angry at him by expressing his opinions. Is that right? I think that's the image he seeks. That's a well-accepted image that's widely understood and known about Harlan, isn't it? I think people buy into it. So that the reader of the Comics Journal would have that understanding of Harlan Ellison as they approach the Ellison interview. Isn't that right? I think that they would see the cover where it says, A Hell-Raising Interview, and I think they would uh, be all set. All set to have Harlan express his views and express his opinions on a wide range of subjects. Isn't that right? Like I said, that's part of the show. That's why they would uh, be interested to read what he had to say, uh, see who he was going to fight with. Do people read Harlan Ellison to get the nightly news? Marshall. Objection. Court overruled. I don't think that makes sense. They read him to get the hard, cold facts? I think that they want to hear what he has to say. They want his opinion. They want to see what he... They want to hear his stories and, and see who he's after. Let me refer you to page 80 of the Ellison interview. Read to yourself the sentence that begins with the word nobody and a long paragraph that begins with the words for instance. But there is a sentence that begins nobody. Do you see that? Yes. Do you see that Mr. Ellison is there referring to himself as a deranged crazy loon? Do you see that? Wait until I read it. Pause. Okay. Did Mr. Ellison refer to himself there as a deranged, crazy, crazed loon? He used those words, the context of it. He is characterizing himself as a hero who has come to the rescue of the people. So he wasn't speaking in any clinical sense when he referred to himself as deranged. Is that right? You think if you read this, you will see that he has said this in such a way that those people who would think of him as deranged, crazy loon are obviously wrong because he is the hero who comes to rescue the people and gotten people paid for something uh, or other here. I don't know what it is. Are you saying that he was praising himself by calling himself a deranged, crazed loon? I think that the way it is stated, the implication in those who thought of him as this deranged, crazy loon were contradicted by the fact that he had accomplished this great feat of heroics. He was boasting there, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And in the course of boasting, he called himself a deranged, crazed loon. That's not how it reads. It's a put down to the people who would have said that about him. Can you imagine anybody reading this and coming away thinking that he was speaking clinically about himself? No, not at all. Other than Michael Fleischer. Marshall. Objection. Court. Objection sustained. Counsel's comment will be stricken. I don't want any more comments at the end of questions or the end of answers. Norwick. Sorry. I call your attention, Mr. Shooter, to page 84, the left-hand column towards the bottom. If you can find reference to Anita Bryant, would you read them to yourself, please? Okay. What did you understand Mr. Ellison to be saying when he referred to Anita Bryant as a crazed loon? I think he meant it. In a clinical sense? Certainly in an insulting sense. Is there a difference between an insulting sense and a clinical sense? I think it was derogatory. I'm not sure I understand what you are talking about when you say clinical. You mean, do I assume that Harlan is a psychiatrist or something? That's the essence of the question, yes, Mr. Shooter. Well, I don't know uh, that, Harlan Ellison, that Harlan is a psychiatrist, but I know that he has said something insulting. Do you know of any reader who understood Mr. Ellison to have a psychiatric expertise? I never discussed that with anyone. 
I call your attention to page 82 of the Ellison interview, lower right-hand column. Read to yourself the first sentence that begins with the words, why is it? I will read it out loud to you. Why is it, for instance, that so many women in urban areas these days are clearly going bugfuck? Do you see that? I see it. What is your understanding of the word bugfuck in that context? Crazy. Objection. There is no context. Sorry, that's Marshall, uh, Shooter's lawyer. Norwick. In that sentence, the court overruled. I assume crazy. Norwick. Clinically or insultingly? Yes, I think insultingly. I call your attention, Mr. Shooter, to page 94 of the Ellison interview, left-hand column. Let me read to you. And if there's anybody crazier than science fiction fans, it's comic book fans. I mean, they are really nutcases. Do you see that? Right. What is your understanding of what Mr. Ellison was saying there? Sounds like he called science fiction fans and comic book fans crazy. In a clinical sense? In an insulting sense. But not to be understood literally, is that right? I don't know what you mean by understood literally. I understand it pretty literally. As a put-down? Yes. As his opinion as to the characteristics, the nature of these fans, is that right? I believe so. Do you know Steve Gerber? Yes, I do. What do you know of his mental state? His mental state? I think he's eccentric. Do you think he's crazy as a bed bug? Crazy as a bed bug? Well, I'd have to know the context. <laughs> Under what circumstances could he be crazy as a bed bug? I don't get it. I don't know what you're talking about. What does crazy as a bed bug mean? Marshall. Objection. Asked and answered. Court. Overruled. Well, it depends on how it is said, by whom, and co the context. It could be a very insulting thing, or it could not be. Could be praised too, couldn't it? I would say that in the right circumstances, uh, it could be something that was meant in a complimentary way. Let me call your attention to page 95 of the Ellison interview, where Mr. Ellison says, left-hand column towards the bottom, I think anybody who works for Jim Warren is a card-carrying, righteous nutcase who ought to be put away. Do you see that? All right. What is your understanding of what Mr. Ellison is saying there? I think that he's insulting Jim Warren. How about the people who work for Jim Warren? I think he is insulting the people who work for Jim Warren. Is he making a clinical statement about their mental health? I think he is insulting him. Not literally or clinically, but just insulting. I don't know why you keep using the word clinic clinical. I don't know. I just think it's insulting. Mr. Shooter, do you know the name Stan Lee? Sure do. Who is Stan Lee? At the moment, Stan is Vice President of Creative Affairs for Marvel Productions. Is he your boss? No. Was he your boss? At one point. At what point? When I was associate editor between 1976 and 1978, and for two years between 1978 and 1980, he was, I suppose, technically my boss, although he not, did not supervise me in any way. Was he your boss at the time of publication of the Ellison interview? When was that? February 1980. Probably not. Can you recall any references to Stan Lee in the Ellison interview? I don't remember them. Do you remember the gist of them? I'll take your word for it uh, that there are references, but I don't remember them. Do you have any understanding of what Gary Groth thinks of Stan Lee? I don't know. You have no understanding? Well, I've seen, I believe I've seen editorials where Gary blamed Stan for the comics not being good enough or whatever. Have you seen editorials in the comics journal attacking Marvel? I don't know that they have attacked us in editorials except in the general sense that they kind of feel that the quality standards of the entire industry are not high enough. You have no recollection of the Comics Journal singling out Marvel, is that right? Marvel has been singled out in the Comics Journal, uh, but usually by people being interviewed or by people quoted in news sections. 
I think that this is a commercial venture. Having something about Marvel on the cover is a good way to sell it. So I think that they do make a point to have something about Marvel in the magazine. Most of what uh, has been said that is negative towards Marvel, I believe, has been quoted from other people saying it. Did the Comics Journal ever quote somebody referring to Marvel as Nazis? I don't know. Let me show you a copy of a magazine and ask you if you can identify it. Comic Journal issue number 51. Let me call you attention. Let me call you attention without asking you to read anything in it to pages five and six of that issue. Okay. Did you see that issue when it came out? Yes, I did. Did you read that article on pages five and six? Yes. Mr. Shooter, would you describe in your own words what the subject matter of that article is on pages five and six? I fired an editor, Rick Marshall, and this is an account of that. In the right-hand corner of page five did the following appear. Recalling the fact crazy editor Paul Lakin had been fired in the exact same manner, Marshall commented wryly, with the Nazis, it's a knock on the door. With Shooter, it's a phone call. Do you remember reading that? Yes. What was your reaction to that? Not much. No reaction that you can remember? No. Did you consider that to be a fair news article, Mr. Shooter? Well, I'm not. I don't have a degree in journalism. I'm fairly confident that the people quoted here are quoted accurately. I, it certainly doesn't uh, present what actually happened, and it certainly is not information uh, in that way, informative in that way. Were you contacted by the Comics Journal in connection with that story? I was, yes. And you gave them comments? Uh, I gave them as little comment as I thought I could. You didn't tell them the whole truth, did you? I did not. So the Comics Journal published what you did tell them? I was trying to be compassionate. I, I just fired the guy. I didn't want to hurt him more. I was trying to be as nice as I could and say as many positive things as I could and not get into the actual reasons that he had been fired because I didn't see any purpose in it. So I just said as little as possible. Do you recall seeing in issue number 52 two stories about Marvel on the same page, one headlined, Marvel dismisses Marv Wolfman early, and the other, New York Times article blasts Marvel? I will ask you if you recall seeing those two articles. Yes. What was your reaction to seeing those two articles about Marvel on the same page in the Comics Journal? Again, not much. Would you characterize those articles as positive or negative publicity for Marvel? I think they were negative. Mr. Shooter, referring you to page 9 of Exhibit 56, which is the issue that contains the Michael Fleischer interview, would you read to the jury the headline on page 9? Roy Thomas leaves Marvel, signs on with DC to write 100 pages a month. Would you consider that negative or positive publicity for Marvel? It seems neutral to me. Did you have a reaction to that article when you saw it? Not much. Did there come a time when the Comics Journal approached you to give an interview in its pages? Twice. When was the first time? Right after I became editor-in-chief. When was the second time? I don't know exactly. Let me ask you if you can identify this magazine, Mr. Shooter. Comics Journal issue 60. Does that contain an interview that you gave to the Comics Journal? Yes. Mr. Shooter, can you recall what the Comics Journal said to you in asking you to give the interview their purpose in soliciting the interview? Well, I think that after they had published a number of those news stories uh, that had a lot of negative stuff about Marvel, they offered me a chance to reply, which is their usual procedure. Did you consider that irresponsible journalism or commendable journalism? I think that's just terrific marketing. I don't think it has anything to do with journalism. Why did you participate in this marketing ploy? I felt that it would be good to get some of the facts out. I didn't want to engage in the mudslinging. I just thought that it would be good to say a few things uh, for whatever good it might do. It certainly wouldn't hurt any. Even though you understood that you were being used in some sort of marketing ploy, is that right? It didn't bother me. 
It's their usual practice to offer people an opportunity to give their side of an event. Is that the common practice in the comics journal? I think that it's a common practice to try to elicit counterattack. Or a response or a defense? I think it's a practice to elicit, to elicit a counterattack. Did you counterattack? No, I didn't. Did you call Mr. Rick Marshall names in this interview? Did you say negative things about him? I tried to be as circumspect as possible. I don't remember calling him names. I don't know what you mean. I tried to explain some of the circumstances without getting into it too far. Did you engage in a counterattack in, in your interview in issue 60? No, I did not. This was an exception to the rule then. Isn't that right? Marshall. Objection to the mischaracterization. Court sustained. Back to Norwick. Do you consider yourself controversial, Mr. Shooter? I think that among some people, I might be controversial. I think that in any kind of broad sense, I'm not at all. How about in the sense of the comic book business? I think that among a fairly small group of fans, I might be considered uh, controversial. Would you read to the jury the subhead to your interview in issue number 60 on page 56? Start with all the wording above the black line. Quote, Pushing Marvel into the 80s, an interview with Jim Shooter, Marvel's controversial editor-in-chief, discusses his reorganization of the company, his plans for the future, and problems of publishing over 30 comic books a month, end quote. Do you think that the Comics Journal would know better than you whether or not you were controversial? I think for the purposes of the interview that that's what they would call me. Did you have any dispute with the fact that they called you controversial? It really didn't matter much to me. Mr. Shooter, has Marvel Comics published a magazine called Crazy? Yes, we have. What did the word mean in that context? About the same as Mad Magazine's Mad means. Did it mean clinically insane? Marshall, objection. Court overruled. Well, there's a genre of humor magazines that all have names like that. Crazy, mad, sick, cracked. In your view, it would be understood in any... It would not be understood in any clinical, literal sense, the word crazy. I don't think so. I will show you issue 99 of the Comics Journal and ask if you can identify it. Yes, I've seen this. In particular, I call your attention to page 7. Mr. Shooter, would you read the headline, all the words above the text, to the jury? Editorial, Gary Groth, Marvel's War with the Press. Is it a fair statement that this is an editorial critical of Marvel? Yes. Mr. Shooter, do you know a person named Jack Kirby? Yes, I do. Who is Jack Kirby? One of the all-time great comic book artists. Is there a controversy in the comic book world today involving Jack Kirby? Marshall, objection, court sustained, back to Norwick. I show you issue 101 of the Comics Journal and ask if you can identify it and ask whether you've seen the editorial that appears on page 7 of issue 101. I've seen this issue, uh, page 7. I've seen this. I didn't read it. Mr. Shooter, have you advised the Comics Journal that you will no longer be available to it for interviews and comments? I really, I haven't really been available uh, to it for interviews and comments ever. I've made myself available for interviews on two occasions. Years ago, I used to occasionally make a comment over the phone or when they send one of their people to our offices, but I haven't done that in years. I don't know if I've ever made an official proclamation. Does Marvel have a policy on how to deal with the Comics Journal? We have a policy on how to deal with the press in general, all press. What is that policy? We have a six-person publicity uh, and promotion department, and any requests for media from any sort must be routed uh, to the promotion department person in charge of that area. The promotion department person in charge of major media is Pam Rutt. The person to whom we refer calls and requests from fan magazines is Steve Saffil. 
Is he authorized to speak for Marvel to magazines such as the Comics Journal? He does not represent us. He merely fields the calls, then comes to myself or perhaps Michael Hobson or his direct supervisor, Mark Erickson, and discusses uh, what should be done. Mr. Shooter, did there come a time when Michael Fleischer called you concerning an advertisement for his novel Chasing Harry? I don't think he called me. I think he came into my office. What did he say to you, and what did you say to him? Michael asked me if it would be all right uh, if a few of the characters that he had written stories for could appear in an ad uh, that advertised the novel he was writing. I said that would be fine. Did he tell you what the novel was about? I don't think so. Did he tell you that sales would be limited to people over the age of 21 years? I don't think so. Did you ask any sex such questions? I, I honestly don't remember. I must have uh, been satisfied that it was okay to do this. Have you subsequently seen any such ad? Yes, I have. I call your attention to page 44 of Plaintiff's, Plaintiff's Exhibit 56. Do you have it in front of you? Yes. Were you aware at the time Mr. Fleischer asked for your consent that the title of the book was Chasing Harry? Were you aware of that? I might have been. Were you aware of what Harry referred to? Probably not. Are you aware today? Yes. What is your understanding of what the word Harry refers to? Female genitalia. Were you aware at the time that the subtitle was A Novel of Sexual Terror? I don't think so. Are you aware of that today? I'm looking at it now, yes. There's an illustration on page 44. Would you identify for the jury which characters belong to Marvel? Ghost Rider and Spider Woman. Would you read to the jury what the attribution is to Spider Woman? Her dialogue. Yes, her dialogue. Mm, and super sexy. That Michael Fleischer sure knows how to turn a girl on. Did Michael Fleischer tell you that that's what he was going to be putting in Spider-Woman's mouth, as it were, at the time he asked for permission? Probably not. If he had, would you have granted or refused permission? It probably wouldn't have made any difference. If you had known that Spider-Woman and Ghost Rider would be used to promote a book that would only be sold to people over the age of 21, would you have granted or denied permission? Well, given that ad would appear here where the audience would tend to be older, I probably wouldn't have bothered. It probably wouldn't have bothered me. How would you know where the ad would appear, Mr. Shooter? I really don't remember whether he told me or not. He must have satisfied me that it was all right because I granted the permission. And your testimony is that the readers of the comics journal are over 21? I don't think that they are exclusively over 21, no. What do you know about the readers of the comics journal, their ages? I know from talking to people at conventions and comic stores who profess to be readers of the comics journal. Do you have any reservations or regrets today that you permitted these characters to be used to promote this novel? It's a courtesy that we would extend to any writer, I think. What do you mean, any writer? If one of my usual group of writers, if a regular writer from Marvel were writing a novel and asked me if he could use a character in an ad, it, I would routinely agree. And not even ask what the novel was about? As I said, I must have been satisfied that it was all right in the context it was being used. Uh, these characters are obviously acting out of character. That is a time-honored tradition in the comic book business. When Stan Lee used to write ads, he'd have the Hulk uh, speaking eloquently or Doctor Doom uh, speaking politely as an attention-getting device. These characters are obviously not representing themselves here. It's just that Michael has done this work to identify him. What is your understanding of the age of the readers of Spider-Woman? I think that most of the action-adventure type comics which are published under the code reach a spectrum of readership. I think that most of them are probably in their early teens. Have you read Chasing Harry? No. 
What do you know about Chasing Harry? Only what I read in the Harlan Ellison interview. How about in the ad for it? And what I read in this ad? You have not heard a word about it in any other discussion anywhere with Mr. Marshall or any place else. Marshall. Objection asked and answered this morning. The court overruled. I heard it mentioned in relationship to this proceeding. It was mentioned at the deposition. It was mentioned quite a lot. Did you read a review of it in the Comics Journal? Yes, I did. Did you read any other reviews of it? There was, I think, a Publishers Weekly review, which Harlan quoted in his interview, and except for the obscenities, which I assumed he was inserting just, you know, because he wanted to, I thought that was fairly uh, accurate rendition of Publishers Weekly's uh, review until the deposition I was actually shown Publishers Weekly review, which was a good bit different. How was it different? Well, Harlan made it sound like it was a scathing and negative review, and it wasn't that at all. Did you consider the Publisher's Weekly Review as a positive review? It wasn't as nasty and derogatory as it was presented in the interview. What do you remember it said? I only saw it once. I saw it for a minute. I just remember noticing that it wasn't uh, the same as Harlan Ellison had said. And it wasn't the same in tone? Not at all. What was the first series to which you assigned Michael Fleischer when he first came to work for Marvel Comics? I think the first regular series was Spider-Woman. Might it have been Ghost Rider? It could have been. Describe for the jury Ghost Rider. Well, Ghost Rider is a character who was sort of Jekyll and Hyde quality. Uh, by day, or most of the time, he's a motorcyclist. He's a stunt rider at night or at various times. Uh, but sometimes, like Dr. Jekyll, he would turn into a monstrous apparition. And commit violence on people. He was characterized as a spirit of vengeance who would go after people who had done evil things. Would you compare the level of violence in Ghost Rider to the level of violence which you described as minimal in the Spectre? These are code-approved comic books. The violence tends to be more fantastical and otherworldly. Was Ghost Rider more violent than Spectre? I don't think that we are t talking Sam Peckinpah here. Uh, these are stories which are action-adventure. There are people killed in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There are people killed in Star Wars movies. I'd say it's on that level. And you say that about the Spectre also? Yes. Were the killings and maimings in the Ghost Rider series as written by Michael Fleischer? As written by anyone who wrote it, uh, as per the direction of the editor. That's what you wanted. You wanted Michael Fleischer to write killings and maimings in Ghost Rider. Isn't that right? I wouldn't say it that way. Uh, <laughs> when you're doing a character who has a spirit of vengeance, I think you need something to avenge. What was it about Michael Fleischer that led you to assign him to Ghost Rider? Uh, it was open and Michael was a good writer who was available. Was he well-suited, in your opinion, to write Ghost Rider? Actually, he was in some ways unsuited, since he was completely unfamiliar with motorcycles. <laughs> How about with violence? That wasn't an issue. And you assigned him to Spider-Woman, is that right? Yes. Who was Michael Fleischer's editor on Spider-Woman? I think Mark Grunewald was the editor for a while. Maybe Denny O'Neill uh, was the editor for a while. I think maybe even I edited a story or two. And there came a time when Michael Fleischer was taken off Spider-Woman, is that right? That's true. Is it true that he was taken off Spider-Woman because he had her in bondage and he had her abused in almost every issue? Marshall, objection, court overruled. That's not true, because if that were uh, certainly under the complete control of the editor, it would be, why would they hold him responsible for something which he was not responsible? Was it true or wasn't it true? It's not true at all. Was she tied up in Spider-Woman as written by Michael Fleischer? It's not uncommon for superheroes to be captured. So she was tied up, is that right? It can happen, sure. Was she beaten up? There was nothing... Uh, 
That has nothing to do with Michael Fleischer being on or off Spider-Woman. Was she beaten up in the Spider-Woman stories written by Michael Fleischer? Certainly. Spider-Woman gets beaten up once in a while in, in the Spider-Woman series. Even the Hulk gets, gets hit certain times, uh, but you can't hurt him. What was Michael Fleischer's following in the direct market prior to February 1980? Well, you have to understand that the direct market has been growing steadily throughout the late 70s and up until now it has been really becoming a major factor back then. Uh, I think that Michael's standing was the same as most other writers of equivalent talent, which is that he had an opportunity to, be to become a star. Lions. Moved to strike as non-responsive. Court. Overruled. But the, really, the market wasn't that developed then. When did the market get developed? About the time that I arrived, uh, because I did a lot to develop it. That was in 78? 78. And the first two assignments you gave to Michael Fleischer were Ghost Rider and Spider-Woman. I think so. How did they do in the direct market? I think that they were both uh, about average. Both of those were titles that were not the sort of thing you'd expect to be gangbusters in the direct market. What do you expect to be gangbusters in the direct market? Right now, the easiest thing to sell in the direct market, the kind of property, a hot type property that you can really make into an enormous success is superheroes, especially superheroes with a kind of science fiction bend. Isn't it true, Mr. Shooter, that you have stated that Michael Fleischer doesn't do superheroes very well? Isn't that true? I think that Michael Fleischer's greatest strengths lie elsewhere. I think that Michael has a lot of talent. I think he is certainly as good a writer, if not better, than Bill Mantlo or JMD. J.M. DeMatteis or Roger Stern at anything. My question, Mr. Shooter, was haven't you stated that Michael Fleischer doesn't do superheroes very well? I might have said that in context. Do you believe it today? No, I don't, especially not today. When did he start doing superheroes well? Well, there was an interesting development. In the last year or 18 months, the market seems to have gotten uh, much more interested in realism, which is something that Michael's very good at. Uh, so I think that the market is kind of coming around toward Michael's strengths. That's within the last year or so? Yes, they've been a number of rather big hits uh, that have kind of a more gritty, realistic point of view like Dark Knight from DC Comics. Uh, Marvel has launched a line of titles that are aimed at that part of the market. We call them the New Universe titles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is just Kafka. Like, like we need to, we need to get. Well, I was about to say something that would get us fucking sued. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there's a footnote to that statement that you just read. Uh, Jim Shooter saying we call them the new universe titles, and Gary Groth adds in a footnote: "Looks like the gritty, realistic marketing strategy didn't work. Marvel better find a different bandwagon to hop on." <laughs> Okay, Jimmy, it looks like there's going to be one more piece to this puzzle because we're coming up on an hour. We still don't know what a booby hatch is. <laughs> and uh, equating the new universe comics like Star, Star Brand and stuff with Dark Knight Returns <laughs> is fantastic. Boy, has that not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, what? Cyforce? Cyforce is a. Uh, uh, you, you, you almost couldn't, in hindsight, describe something more different than those two titles. Uh, so is, is, is Mark Hazard um, <laughs> Watchmen? Yeah, this is, uh, that's funny. That's just, wow. 
you you can only say this in a courtroom with people who have no I- idea about comics at all because you would get laughed out of a comic I was going to say I feel like we should this should be followed by the court being like order in the court order in the court is <laughs> like Gary Groth is just laughing and, and Fred Hembeck is over there like no they say it ain't so oh man that Amazing. that is outrageous but this entire sequence that we've read so far feels this way like these passages are I can't believe any of this line of questioning it makes me wonder about like every trial ever do they get into this kind of minutia and specificity and like you know who are you bringing in as an expert witnesses in other trials because this is wild (laughs) (laughs) and i also thought at one point who's paying for this is this taxpayer dollars because i don't think i'm too happy about that either (laughs) this is ridiculous (laughs) well it's definitely not taxpayer dollars uh because this is very expensive stuff uh, gary groth and fantagraphics had that series anything goes there were other fundraising mechanisms, and I think that it was discovered like when Gary was like looking through like his liability insurance, like like with the company, that a nice nut of that was uh, covered like just by his own business insurance. Like it was the business insurance that you get to prevent like you know if someone cracks their ankle like outside. But there were like he was looking at provisos and shit in there and saw that there was like a liability or like a like a libel like slander libel uh piece to that uh you know if it was like acting under the business that so, makes total sense so if that you're helped them j- publishing a journalism i bet you have to have that it was it was an accident time. yeah like it, it like it was included in the thing but he didn't even know it until until they they like pulled out their like little insurance card and was like reading word for word and was like oh shit like we could actually you know cash this in a little bit and 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 get some help on this stuff and and get get eric reynolds a three-piece suit to stand in front of i'm imagining like doogie hauser like like i'm not convinced that this norwick guy isn't peppy white or like larry reed it's wild or maybe you even put pete bag in in the suit to ask these questions because some of them are fanboyish uh, type questions right they're a lot fanboyish it, it makes me wonder like i wish we would get like a little bit of the uh, the judge like do a, do a comics journal interview with the judge after this because again is this typical is this what courtroom like juried cases actually are like um the minutia it's it's minutia even by comic book standards yeah for sure wow yeah it's funny too to think like what is the law you're being prepped with you know, like imagine whenever they're sitting down with, with Groth and company and they're going over like, okay, here's what we got to get out of Shooter or here's some information so you can you can do whatever you need to do there. Because it's not like the lawyer can know the stuff that he's asking here, like some of the very specific character stuff. Yeah. Just wow. Wild. Be here same bat time next week, man. We're going to wrap up the Jim Shooter uh, what, it's not a deposition. It's like testimony. Testimony. Sh- yes, straight testimony. up legit testimony in in a court of law with a jury of the peers watching. Things being stricken from the record. <laughs> We've got about 10 more pages. I also think it's funny whenever he's comparing uh, Fleischer to like, uh, he's as good a writer as, and then names like a list of other people. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. All right, man. Let's get the hell out of here. Uh, K favors like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell, we'll notify you when new vids are available. What is out there, Jimmy? 
Hulk Grand Design, tell your local comic shop to order that now, coming out in March 2022. You can also join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics. You can see a bunch of my original art and process there on my Patreon. Red Room, the anti-social network, is on the stands right now. The trade paperback is in comic shops on Amazon. You can find it uh, out there. Get your hands on it. ASAP because there's a paper shortage and we don't know when those reprints are going to be uh, happening. That paper shortage pushed back our release date for Red Room trigger warnings to February, but uh, we are firmly have our feet planted. It will be coming out then. And uh, you can order pre-order these comics on the Fantagraphics website. You could go to your comic shop, get it put on your pull list. Every issue is completely self-contained. And if you want to read those comics ahead of time, hit up my Patreon. Uh, all those links are in the description below this video. What else do we have? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below the video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below the video. All right, Jimmy, given those marching orders, we're going to be on our way. Read more comics.